and you are listening to Unusual Sources here on 93.3 CFMU-FM, which is available at cfmu.ca, our new online service. You can go there right now and see us streaming live on air, Unusual Sources, which of course, um, we are now on the Hamilton Coalition to Stop the War website. So if you go to hcsw.ca, there's a radio section on the right-hand side there, tab menu and uh, you can get the information about us and links to our podcasting online and today we have u.s based anti-war activist sarah flounders on the line with us uh sarah thanks for coming and joining us on the program today well, thank you for inviting me. Well, we got you uh, direct by phone here, and I'm glad we do because uh, you have a very timely series of articles out right now. I'm looking at it here. Um, it's called uh, Why U.S. and Saudi Arabia Back Rohingya in Myanmar. Uh, and this was posted on workers.org. It might be on the uh, International Action Center website as well, maybe on Global Research. Um, this is actually a multi-part series. I was reading part one. Uh, you have part two out now, is that correct? Uh, that's right. It's um, The focus uh, is Myanmar's um, colonial history feeds current strike crisis of Rohingya, ah, Saudi yes. Arabia, and the U.S. And that's an important issue. It certainly is uh, pertinent to what's what's unfolding there. Uh, what we got a, a situation, as you've pointed out, we've got some very destructive forces on the international stage, including the United States and Saudi Arabia. Uh, they seem to have taken a very public interest in the situation of Muslims living in Rakhine. Um, it, it's, it's caused people to who pay attention to these things to ask a lot of questions. Um, I guess we could start uh, with the context of, of what's going on right now. Um, certainly the United States has taken interest. You, you can w- look all over the corporate media who are suddenly concerned about the situation of Muslims uh, uh, in, in parts of Myanmar. Uh, uh, now, the United States has plans for an interest in the region, uh, especially with regard to China. I'm wondering, can you tell us, you know, in terms of these interests, how Myanmar fits into that context? Well, Myanmar is uh, a strategically important, uh, bordering China, Bangladesh, India, Thailand, and Laos. Uh, and it is, at this point, uh, a major uh, port, oil pipeline, uh, and new sort of transportation hub is being built by China in this very area. So that's what raised, uh, you know, uh, a certain amount of interest on my part that suddenly the U.S. is coming to the defense of an oppressed grouping in Myanmar where they have never expressed any interest in the past. Uh, And what is China building there is that uh, 80% of China's needed oil and So much of its trade, the overwhelming majority of its trade, uh, passes through the very narrow um, Malacca Straits. And that's like a a narrow choke point, as they say, um, waterway between Indonesia and Singapore. It's a major route into the South China Sea. And, you know, one aircraft carrier battle group could cut off this entire area, could blockade it easily which is something that, um, of course, U.S. and earlier British policy is well known for controlling uh, key waterways and choke points and cutting them off. So this is, uh, we 
everyone in the world, I think, has heard of and following in some way what's called the Pivot to Asia, which is really a U.S. military pivot, uh, meaning let's turn the attention of a whole military apparatus, missile batteries, aircraft carriers, to China and to again and again list China as a major rival to the U.S. Uh, in development. Now, there's nothing that China is doing that is threatening militarily to the U.S. It's that the Chinese economy is growing and expanding, and there's a whole network of trade relations. And that's threatening to U.S. economic domination on a global scale. So uh, would they, as part of the pivot to Asia, cut off um, this important uh, checkpoint in the in the Malacca Straits, they certainly might. And, and China's uh, non-military approach is building a deep sea port, an industrial park, and gas and oil pipelines that would take uh, materials uh, overland before it goes through the uh, Straits of Malacca into the South China Sea. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a multi-billion dollar construction project it's enormously beneficial to very seriously underdeveloped, impoverished um, Myanmar. Um, so developing the gas fields there is extremely helpful to them. And suddenly into this comes a struggle where you have uh, even President Trump at the U.N. He's on the one hand threatening nuclear annihilation of people's Korea, and then he says that the people, the Rohingya population, uh, demanding that the U.N. Security Council take strong and swift action, come to their defense, rally international support. And we see a movement that is based in Mecca in Saudi Arabia, uh, being the group that U.S. and Saudi Arabia and groups around the world are suddenly demanding there be all-out support for so there's some suspicion, is there, what's going on here? Yes, um, yeah. And is this really support that they're offering, or are they attempting to utilize uh, an oppressed grouping uh, and utilize it against the people of Myanmar and against the people of China? Too? Certainly the uh, uh, alleged you know, U.S. interest in problems faced by people and in groupings and national minorities, it's very inconsistent when you look at it, and, and you even provide examples of that. But it is consistent in the respect of U.S. foreign policy and its interests. And uh, it was very interesting context you laid out in part one of that article, uh, why U.S. and Saudi Arabia back Rohingya in Myanmar. I mean, with reference to China, yeah, you were saying that it, uh, it's, you know, it's a rapidly developing country that has many infrastructure projects, is able to engage with other countries. Um, it's, it's, it's creating its own networks and trade relations and so on. It, it does not want to confront the U.S. militarily. Uh, and, 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 and so uh, it's trying to avoid confrontation, uh, but we're ending up in, in these kind of situations, uh, unfortunately. Um, and, and, and then there's the issues here about uh, the armed insurgency uh, itself uh, in Myanmar. Uh, so there's been patterns of coordinated uh, series of attacks hitting a large number of uh, government uh, buildings. Um, these are not the acts of a small uh, group. Uh, and 
your article points out that um, there are many, many articles in Western outlets stating baldly that the, the Saudi government, Saudi Arabia, provides material support uh, to armed groups uh, within Myanmar. Uh, so what can you tell us about that? We, we have then a situation where there is an armed group conducting armed anti-state activity and it's supported by Saudi Arabia. Well, that's uh, what caught my interest were the, the sheer number of articles that just make passing reference. And I'm talking about Reuters and the Chicago Tribune, Wall Street Journal, and, uh, and also um, what's really a major corporate think tank, the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Uh, none of these are radical publications by any means, but they all refer to Saudi support for the Rohingya struggle and uh, also quote that it's based in Mecca, Saudi Arabia, the um, uh, Arakan Rohingya Salvation Army is based in uh, Mecca, Saudi Arabia. And that's who carried out this coordinated attack on 30 uh, Myanmar military posts uh, back in August, August 25th. Now, August 25th, that was important for another reason. It was the very day that the UN uh, was issuing a, a report that um, ways to achieve a political solution for the Rohingyas. Uh, and, and here's the response at this effort to achieve a political settlement and, and announce it and publicize it. Uh, there is a coordinated attack on 30 military bases, uh, which takes quite some coordination, as you can imagine. That's not just one policeman, one, one uh, attack going on. The same day, attacks on, on 30 installations. Uh, and an attack that precludes, then, any kind of negotiated settlement. Um, so clearly this is a force that doesn't want to resolve um, problems. And, and it is right and, and just to say that the Rohingya are an oppressed group within Myanmar. But it's also important to know, and this is never mentioned in the press, in the media here they refer only to Rohingya and the rest of Myanmar being a largely Buddhist country. Well, we, we, the Rohingya represent about half of the, or a little less than half, the Muslim population of Myanmar. But but Myanmar is made up of 135 distinct ethnic groupings. There's eight major nationalities, and there is, uh, you know, generations, decades of struggles, many struggles, by different groups within Myanmar and earlier within Burma. Uh, to establish national rights. So it's not the only struggle, but it's the only one that's suddenly come to the attention, the overwhelming support, the media support, or Trump calling out at the UN for the defense. Uh, that that also is worth noting. The, the number of different national groupings that make up Myanmar today um, which the British used as part of their imperial policy of conquest of playing one group against another. 
um, and did so in an incredibly vicious way. I mean, the, the what was at the time called Burma, um, there were three wars that, that British imperialism pro- protracted wars to, to conquer Burma. And uh, the first Anglo-Burmese war was the, was the most expensive war in, in British India's uh, imperial, in, in its history. Um, they developed the strategic Hamlet tactic actually in what was at that time called Burma. The U.S. later used that very same brutal tactic in Vietnam. It meant that hundreds of villages were burned, the whole population uprooted into strategic hamlets, really concentration camps. And new British rice plantations were established. Uh, This totally uprooted the whole population of the country. Burma became the largest rice exporter in the world. More than half of all the rice in the world at the turn of the last century came from Burma. And it did not happen uh, by a friendly policy. It came from strategic hamlets, concentration camps, huge plantations, the destruction of the economy that was there and turning it forcefully into the global market economy. Well, for those who are just tuning in, we're speaking with Sarah Flounders, anti-war activist in the United States. Uh, chances are, if there's any significant anti-war uh, movement activity in the U.S., uh, Sarah is involved with it. And of course, I guess you know we all have a bad taste in our mouth right now from Libya and from uh, Syria, where uh, you know grievances of this or that group were used to justify very destructive outside military interventions, and and that's the problem with the colonial legacy that we're discussing here. Because as you pointed out, uh, in, in Burma, Myanmar, and in other places uh, out, outside of that country, of course, the British have left us all with this present where they have pitted various groups against one another and left countries in a state where they, they are divided among ethnicities and religions to make them weak and vulnerable to outside intervention, to make them dependent on imperial powers, to make them dependent on outside aid. Uh, and, you know, in, in the case of Myanmar, there are, there are many groups involved here, and they could be pursuing a strategy of negotiation, of reconciliation, of recognition of problems, of addressing those locally. But having uh, an insurgency backed by Saudi Arabia and uh, rattling all these bells and alarms by the Western countries, is not, that's not a strategy for national reconciliation. That's not a strategy for you know, ending problems or addressing or confronting issues. It's run about uh, preparing some kind of, of nasty conflict, I think. Um, and, you know, as you pointed out, it's all very, very dubious because uh, the U.S. government, you know, President Trump, I suppose, they're positioning themselves as uh, defenders of uh, groups of Muslims within Myanmar. Uh, these are the same people threatening to bomb Iran, threatening, you know, putting sanctions on various countries in the Middle East and the Arab and Muslim world. Um, they, they say they care about certain groups in Myanmar right now. Well, we got Saudi Arabia, as you pointed out, that's bombing Yemen. Uh, they are bombing and starving Yemen. They're they're killing. We don't even know how many people right now. Uh, as many have pointed out, the richest country in the Middle East, the Saudis, are bombing and occupying and starving the poorest country in the Middle East, Yemen. And this does not address or cause any international condemnation by the United States, by Canada, because the United States is intricately involved with this military operation in Yemen that it refuses to condemn. Can you tell us uh, about this this dichotomy here? 
Well, maybe that's the, the clearest example of why we should be so suspicious about suddenly uh, the great sympathy and support shown uh, on the part of the U.S., on the part of Saudi Arabia, on the part of a whole series of NGOs that all too often, and I'm talking about Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International and uh, many others, um, who very often just reflect the State Department line when they're putting out an international petition. Uh, but right now in Yemen, there is what is what's called the world's largest hunger crisis, a man-made hunger crisis. That, that's how the Washington Post described it, where there's 7 million Yemenis that are in a real famine. And it's because of a U.S. naval blockade, number one, the uh, aircraft that is bombing Yemen on a daily basis. Supposedly, these are Saudi aircraft, but Saudi Arabia cannot fly their own planes without U.S. participation, satellite reconnaissance, in-air fueling, and so on. This is how even the wealthiest country is kept in a dependent position uh, where they don't really control their own air force. So in every sense, this, the war in Yemen is a U.S. Uh, carried out war where their contractors and their military carries out every stage of it, including the in-air refueling and the naval blockade. Uh, so here's Yemen, unable to get any um, imports, a country extremely dry and arid uh, that was the poorest country in the, in the region already. Uh, and the destruction, especially the bombing of sanitation and sewage lines uh, has created a cholera epidemic. And that is something that can and does very quickly get out of hand. And, and according to UN figures, there's now 700,000, reaching toward a million people with cholera in Yemen. Very treatable, very treatable, uh, with literally with pure water, with good drinking water. Yes. So you have a cholera epidemic, you have a famine uh, going on, you have daily bombing, and it's not in the news at all. And then you have instead daily coverage and every administration official talking about another different, smaller uh, crisis somewhere else entirely, where they're also behind it but in a more secretive way. We've seen the photos from Yemen. You can go on the internet and look. The starving children, they look like skeletons. It's all a preventable catastrophe, a preventable mass murder. People starving to death. 21st century, they have cholera. Uh, they don't have access to sewage, you know, proper sewage treatment. They don't have access to food. They don't have access to water. And it's because they're being bombed and blockaded and sanctioned and invaded by Saudi Arabia. And now we're supposed to believe this is the Saudi Arabia that wants to liberate people in Myanmar. Uh, and, and it's it's really you know it goes again to the colonial legacy you referred to uh, Burma you know there's some people still calling it Burma uh, they, they, this that was a place where bad things happened yeah you know, the the British ran one of the most violent and destructive uh, campaigns of all time in in Burma to suppress resistance to British rule uh, to keep it in the the empire in its orbit. Uh, 
and uh, now, you know, the, the British, the Anglos, the Anglo-American Alliance and the Saudis tell us they want to go and they want to liberate Burma. Uh, you know, this is a place, this is a country that has its share of problems, okay? The, uh, there, there's oppression of groups. There's, you know, there's poverty. This is, a, this, this is a place that has real, legitimate problems. But the question is, how do you want to address those problems? Is a, you know, an armed insurgency that relies on Saudi backing and a media blitz by the United States going to solve Myanmar's problems? What is the United States gearing up for in its giant media campaign uh, about Myanmar? Uh, what what are the avenues we have here? What what you know? What can Myanmar do, or what can people do to try to get a solution that involves honest negotiation and dialogue and discussion between actors uh, within that country, rather than turning this into part of this this regime change traveling show that has flattened about eight or nine countries in the last decade? Yeah, at any one in any one week, literally, the U.S. is bombing some eight different uh, Muslim countries. So there, there's no concern. Uh, we shouldn't give an ounce of credibility that this is based on concern for Muslim people in Myanmar. What they do want, though, are U.S. bases. And this has been a constant pressure uh, on Myanmar. And, and one of the ways we could even look back at this demand for a military base. In, in 2008, uh, what was called the, the worst cyclone of the century hit Myanmar. This was predicted many, many days before, but it created a huge tidal wave that hit the uh, Irrawaddy Delta in, in Myanmar, on the, in the Gulf of Bengal. And it created a wall of water 12 feet high that surged miles inland, and over a million people were left homeless. There was uh, tens of thousands of uh, people who were missing, and the Yangon, which is a former colonial capital, was uh, just in, in a shambles. And at that very moment, President George Bush, George W. Bush, uh, passed a new round of sanctions on Myanmar that made it very difficult for international donations and international aid, and then demanded that U.S. aid be given, that the, the U.S. be given full military access to Myanmar to deliver and to coordinate emergency supplies. This was turned down by the government even though it was desperately, desperately needed, because there's a deep sentiment in Myanmar against U.S. bases. But it really shows how cynically even a national catastrophe on a huge scale is suddenly used as an opening to demand a base and to say, well, we have a humanitarian catastrophe. They, they actually tried to get passed to the U.N. Uh, under this right to protect clause that they could forcibly go in and, quote, distribute aid. They didn't succeed. But it does show um, exactly what U.S., even when it's called humanitarian aid, is for. It's for military placement and domination of a region. Really? And it's never meant for the improvement of the life of the population. They did the same thing, of course, in Somalia in a famine that they 
you know, it, it meant a U.S. base to deliver aid. And if it wasn't granted, then just stand by and let people, you know, die of famine. Well, there I was thinking that the whole purpose of the U.S. military was to deliver aid in hostile <laughs> areas. If, if they don't want a- your aid, well, that's why we got 12 aircraft carrier groups to make sure we can feed all those hungry people. Because if there's one long-standing U.S. policy, it's you got to feed hungry people, give them free food. That sums up the U.S. in Trump. And, and, and it's the one thing they're incapable of doing right now in Puerto Rico. <laughs> Here's a real U.S. colony uh, since, you know, 1898. And uh, they a little a little island, hundred miles by forty miles. They can't seem to coordinate even basic electricity, let alone food or water. Uh, any U.S. brags about how they have thousands of these big container uh, containers, which are what they call a base in a box, and in each container are generators, water filtration, tarps. Uh, hospital, uh, field hospitals, medical supplies, ready meals, and so on, in each container. There's thousands of these. Yeah, and somehow... It would take nothing to airlift uh, one to every town in Puerto Rico. They they just can't seem to do it. No, they can't seem to do it. All their forces are tied up bombing Yemen and bombing seven other countries and uh, having aid to deliver by force wherever necessary in the world, except Puerto Rico, which, you know, it's allegedly part of the U.S. It, it, you want to see what a colony looks like that, you know, they don't have, that the, is, right. they don't have the money or the self-determination to be able to even rebuild. And they have to say, can you help us, you know, mother country that we're allegedly part of? And, they, they can, and Trump says, you guys just want everything done for you. You're a bunch of lazy bums. You know, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Compare that with Cuba. If you look at the disaster relief from that exact same hurricanes and how Cuba handled it, uh, you know, they've already cleaned up a lot of the mess. They had been well prepared, well in advance. To, you know, they had big national programs to just move people out of the way of the hurricane, to distribute aid, to distribute food, to, you know, power down things that, you know, you don't want on fire. All, all those kind of things were all done in Cuba. Um, and uh, the, 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 you couldn't look for a more stark contrast. And there should be more articles on that. But I, I know you, you're going to be writing a lot on all these issues. Um, and you've got you know two parts to this article already um why u.s and saudi arabia back Rohingya in myanmar we'll probably have to hear more soon because you know i think although there's many bad things happening like you know u.s gearing up possibly for another intervention this this time in myanmar um on the other hand you know you got a lot of people that are not ju- you're just not taking it in the sense that right. we're not waiting around you know, to see what happens it's not like the, the outset of the crisis in libya or syria where we had to listen to all sorts of people tell us that oh there's a revolution and we got to support this and we got to let the us in there and we got to we need more bombs and we need more fighter jets to, you know and uh, people are, are are getting more impatient with these alleged humanitarian interventions and these things that we're supposed to support and and and, and, and just going into people's countries and solving problems through the application of external force, military intervention, support for insurgencies, you know, uh, uh, there's, there's more and more resistance to it. Uh, and, and you're part of that, and you are raising awareness of, of some very important uh, ongoing issues. So we're very happy about that. We'll be trying to catch more of your articles, read more of your articles as they come. Uh, the, the, this is very important work. We have to be on top of these things as they happen b- before the intervention starts so that we don't have to play catch up for years. So um, I really appreciate the work you're doing, and I, and I look forward to reading uh, your further work on this subject. So uh, thanks very much for being on the program with us today, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. okay. Well, bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
that was uh, Sarah Flounders, a U.S.-based anti-war activist. You can find uh, the recent article on workers.org. You can find some of her work on the International Action Center. I think it's IA Center, IACenter.org. Of course, um, you can find this program, Unusual Sources, and its new home on the Hamilton Coalition to Stop the War website at H csw.ca that's hcsw.ca there's a new radio section on the right hand tab and you can get our podcasts and programs and stuff like that so uh, keep an eye on on uh, the sarah flounders article i haven't even read part two i'm sure it contains all sorts of interesting context and background on the colonial situation which is quite uh, acute in, in Myanmar, former uh, burma so uh, stay tuned we have a transit talk coming up uh, after this <laughs> 